Well, before Moses looked out and over into the promised land, and just an aside there, Moses, it's one of the saddest stories in the Bible. Moses never actually steps one foot into the promised land. Uh, his last days are spent um, at the mountaintop looking over the border and looking in, but he never gets to step foot after all that work. And after all that time, he never actually gets to step foot. But before Moses looked out and over to the promised land, before Moses climbed the mountain and received those Ten Commandments we just talked to the children about, before Moses led the people wandering in the desert and the wilderness, before Moses held out his staff and split the water in two so they could escape through the sea into the wilderness, before Moses reluctantly went to the Pharaoh and looked him in the eye and said, let my people go. Before all of that, before all these amazing stories in the book of Exodus, baby, or Moses was a baby. Moses was a baby. He was a baby in his mother's womb in a time when it was dangerous to be a baby, especially a baby boy. There had been a pharaoh that had come to rule, the book of Exodus starts out, and this pharaoh uh, didn't know Joseph. So therefore, what that's trying to tell us is there's a pharaoh now, there's, new, there's a new king in Egypt that doesn't know about how much Joseph and his people uh, helped out the Egyptians and saved uh, a pharaoh that had come before. And so as time had worn out, and those stories started to be lost, uh, a pharaoh had come to rule that didn't know Joseph. And so all this pharaoh noticed was when he looked out into the land, he saw a bunch of Jacob's people, a bunch of Israelites that were being fruitful and multiplying. And so it started to become um, a threat to the pharaoh and the Egyptians. And it became such a threat that the Pharaoh decided to enact a law or a rule or at least come up with a plan. And so he got together and he called in the midwives that were delivering all these babies and he told the midwives, um, hey, if it's a boy, take the boy and go and uh, get rid of it. You can let the Israelite girls live, but no more boys. That'll take care of that problem. Well, the scriptures tell us in chapter 1 that the midwives feared God. They knew God. And they knew that that was a legitimate plan that would be blessed by God. So, um, they didn't do it. The Pharaoh got wind of more boys being born. And so, he called the midwives to him once again. And the midwives said, hey man. I doubt they said, hey man. <laughs> That's how I would have done it. Hey dude. strong, and they're pretty powerful, and they're pretty amazing at childbirth. I mean, they're like Pastor Melissa, these babies just pop out. <laughs> Don't tell her I said that. <laughs> she wouldn't describe it that way. 
But they just pop out and, uh, you know, they call for us. And by the time they get there, the babies are delivered and we can't find them. You know, all that was a lie. Uh, but that's what they did. So the Pharaoh came up with a new plan. He says, all right, then, when you get there, search out for these baby boys that have been born and take them down to the river and destroy them. It was a terrifying time uh, to be a mother or a father of a baby boy. Our story here in chapter 2 begins uh, with what the scripture describes as two Levite parents becoming pregnant again. The interesting thing is these parents have already given birth to a boy and a girl. And so that happens in our society today. Like, well, we have a boy and a girl, so either A, we should just stop there, right? Perfection. We have one of each, or, or B, uh, when we're pregnant with a third one, we don't really care what it is. Let's just uh, hope that it's healthy and, and we're just thankful. Well, that's where these parents find themselves, with a boy and a girl. But I doubt they're not concerned with what is going to be delivered. Now, they didn't have any fancy technology. They couldn't go get an ultrasound or a sonogram or anything like that. Uh, they only had probably wise tales, like if you crave sweet stuff, it's a what? It's a girl. Yeah, y'all don't have any wise tales here? Alright, right? If it's salt, you crave salty stuff, it's a boy. Alright, now we're awake. We're just not awake because it's raining. Alright, so that's maybe what all they had to go on. They couldn't go get a test. And I say that because it must have been a terrifying time for a mother carrying a child not knowing you think about how excited you are either if you're the type of person that wants to know at the test, like we found out on all of ours, we tried not to find out with Ernie, but I tricked the technician because we were decided, well, let's just be surprised with Ernie. And so we went into the little room and I kept saying, oh, look, he has my chin. Oh, look, he has my muscles. And I kept saying that. And she said, oh, you already know you're having a boy? I was like, well, actually, I was just kidding, but now we do. So, but they couldn't do any of that. I can't imagine having to worry about that, you know, not just to even things out in your family. This time we want a boy. That's just to kind of even things out and maybe have one less wedding to pay for. <laughs> but I can't imagine the life and death of finding out, like, it's a girl or, oh my goodness, it's a boy and they're coming after me. Well, that was the fate of the parents of Moses. And so the scriptures tells us when the boy is born, um, his mother is very excited. She says he's beautiful. And actually the Hebrew word used there that we translate into beautiful is actually the word tov, which means good. And it's not just any special use of the word good. It's the same use of the word good, tov, as was used in the first pages of the Bible in creation, when something would be created and God would say, and it was very good. So Moses has been born and he's very good. He's good and God the creator type of good, as if God already has a plan for him. And so when she saw he was good, uh, they rejoice for a moment at least. And so what she does here is, in this time of fear, she decides to hide him for a bit. You know, the most important time for a baby 
to be with its mother. I mean, it's forever for some of you mama's boys, right? But especially uh, in the very beginning. And then skin-to-skin contact and all the nurturing that takes place in the early days of a new infant. So she hides him for about three months and nurses him and uh, spends some time with him. And uh, that's almost like an impossible task when people are looking for baby boys. She hides him for three months. Then she comes up with a plan. She weaves a basket. She didn't have the opportunity to, to run to the store or to go. I think this basket, Christy, Jerry said, was purchased in Disney World in Morocco. What year, roughly? 
to defy not just the order of the land, but the order of her own father, the Pharaoh. The ruler had thought sparing women was safe. But all along the way in these two short chapters, almost three, two short chapters, it's the women that act courageously and keep the story of Moses alive enough in the beginning for him to get started. It's the midwives that defy the Pharaoh and lie right to his face. Very strong, strong women. It's the mother of Moses who defies and hides Moses, the daughter of the Pharaoh, and then ultimately the sister of Moses, and what's her name? Miriam. All work together to spare this one child. And so before Moses looks out over the promised land, before Moses climbs the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments, before he crosses the sea, before he goes to the Pharaoh and sits, let my people go. Moses is saved by these courageous women. The midwives, his mother, his sister, and the Pharaoh's daughter. The amazing part of the story is his sister risks her life and she's spying on the basket. So she notices the Pharaoh's daughter comes down. You can probably feel the anxiety and the anxiousness that she has as she's wondering, you know, is the Pharaoh's daughter going to take the baby and dump him in the river and destroy him? But no, maybe to her wonderful and pleasant surprise, the Pharaoh's daughter takes Moses maybe even to her chest and cuddles and holds and warms the baby that might be wet and cold from being within the reeds. It's an amazing part of the story. And so then Miriam risks her own life by approaching. You don't just approach a princess in any time, but especially when a princess that is um, working for a pharaoh that wants to destroy the boys of your family. But she approaches the pharaoh's daughter nonetheless. Great act of courage and risk. She approaches and concocts a plan. She says the brilliant part of the story. Hey, you want me to go get one of the Hebrew women that can that is already nursing, that can nurse this child, and then we'll get him back to you. And the Pharaoh's daughter loves that plan. And so she goes and gets the mother of Moses. And so now, many women will like this part of the story. His mother's going to be paid to nurse the child, right? Who wouldn't sign up for that? <coughs> I don't know. I wouldn't. But anyway, let's move on before we get lost in that. So, it's a great twist in the story. He's nursed by his own mother, and then when that time goes and he's weaned, he's given back to the Pharaoh's daughter to be raised as her own. And then that's how Moses gets in and within the story of the Egyptians. I encourage you to read it further and discover some fascinating adventure and stories as, the, as it begins to unfold as Moses grows into a strong man and leader for God. This story is ultimately for you and I about something we call in the Methodist movement provenient grace. Provenient grace is grace that comes before we can even acknowledge where that grace is coming from. 
So this is grace that comes to Moses. He's not old enough. He's an infant. He's a baby. He doesn't know what's going on around him in terms of being able to speak for himself. But God puts in place a plan to save him on his behalf. That's provenient grace. And the way God's story unfolds, the grace and deliverance to Moses is through these courageous women. These women, these saints. His sister, his mother, the midwives, the Pharaoh's daughter, all these women are agents of God's provenient grace extended to Moses to protect him, to guide him, and to care for him along the way. And if they don't, if any of them fail to live up to God's call, then Moses' story is over, and I would suspect our story is over in terms of how the Old Testament unfolds. Provenient grace and these saints that came before Moses and acted on behalf of God to save him. On this day, we call All Saints Sunday. It's an invitation for us in the spirit and in the light of Pharaoh's daughter and Miriam and his mother and the midwives for you and I to think about the saints that have gone before us. Who is it in our lives? Who is it in your life that helped care for you, guide you, and protect you? To teach you, not just the commandments of God, but the grace of God. To teach you the stories of Jesus. To speak up for you and to protect you when you couldn't do it on your own. Who are those people in your lives that have been agents of God's provenient grace? And so I invite you in prayer to think of those people now. And as we come together for Holy Communion here in just a moment, I'm going to invite you to bring a name forward. And so hopefully you have a little scrap paper or a piece of notebook card. If not, just tear a little piece out of your booklet or bulletin and write a name or two or three, whatever, of people in your life that have gone before us. And they can be alive too, but on this All Saints Day, we think of people that have gone before us that have been agents of provenient grace, protected you, guided you, and cared for you. And we'll do that as we open up this series that we call Moses, and we give thanks to God for powerful people in our lives who have performed like these women in Moses' life. Amen? Amen. Thanks be to God.